1: Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, where are we going as a country? Is that a big question or what? But the most relevant question is where are the people, or more specifically the voters, going? Are we moving to the left after 100 years in which the state largely avoided the standard left-right axis in politics? The last general election in which Sinn Féin did far better than expected might suggest so, but we've been warned not to read too much into that. This question would be interesting at any time, but currently I think it takes on an extra significance because we see in many countries at the moment a shift to the right, and I'm thinking in particular here of the USA, the UK, Poland, Hungary, and a host of other countries, even in places like France, where there certainly seems to be a, a liftoff for some far-right entities, even if they haven't achieved power yet. Now, taking what is known in modern parlance as a deep dive into this subject recently was economist Aidan Regan, who, along with a colleague of his, Stefan Muller, wrote a paper entitled, Are Irish Voters Moving to the Left? which recently won the Political Studies Association of Ireland Annual Award. And Aidan Regan, from UCD's School of Politics and International Relations, who also, I have to say, writes an always interesting column in the Sunday Business Post, joins us now... Aidan, you're very welcome and congrats on the award. Thank you. Now Aidan, as I said, I've read your paper and it's fair to say that you and your colleague certainly believe, based on your extensive research, that the voters are moving to the left and that this was happening long before the 2020 general election. What exactly is driving this shift? Yeah, I mean, very good question. So the paper that we
0: wrote, you know, we observed that there was a very clear shift to the left in the 2020 election. Uh, And we observed uh, that income in particular was the main determinant behind those who self-identify on the left. But what was perhaps most interesting uh, for 2020 was self-identification on the left or the right in itself was a very powerful predictor of who you voted for. So that would suggest that voters have a a clearer sense of their own ideological preferences Uh, and they identify parties accordingly. Now, we kind of said, look, is this just a kind of once-off 2020? Is this something particular or is there something else going on here? So we basically gathered different surveys over time and the different election surveys from 2002 and what we kind of plotted different things and ran different kind of models. And what we've seen is that actually, yeah, incrementally over time, the average median Irish voter is uh, moving more and more to the kind of centre-left which is very different from the late 80s, for example. Peter Mayer, uh, the great Irish political scientist, uh, who, who unfortunately died a few years ago, he identified in the late 80s how unusual Ireland was, that there was like Ireland had been identified in the papers he was writing as the average voter, was most to the right of all what was then kind of the EU or what we would call the Western European countries. And now it's gone kind of full circle that, you know, whereas the compared to other European countries, the average Irish voter is moving more to the left. Um, so, yeah, we see this incremental shift over time. Um, and, you know, there's different ways to measure this, etc. And there's, you know, there's all sorts of problems with the methodology. So to kind of corroborate the analysis, and I think this for me is perhaps the most interesting part. We The ESRI actually ran an experiment. Now, it was never published, but we got access to the original data. And they ran a kind of lab experiment to kind of see whether voters understood what left-right meant and whether they identified themselves accordingly. And actually, their findings was very consistent with what we found in 2020. So this gave us all basically good evidence to suggest that, yes, over time, the average Irish voter is moving to the, more to the left. And what's interesting is that that includes all voters. So, you know, even for Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil voters, they are slightly more to this, say, centre-right than they would have been previously. Um, but again, but I think perhaps most important in, in, in this paper that we wrote and published was that this self-identification on the left is a very powerful predictor of who they voters vote for. And self-identified voters on the left vote Sinn Féin, Labour, Social Democrats, Green, people before profits. And then self-identified voters on the right basically vote Independence, Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil. Uh, But then you kind of probe a bit deeper, well who votes Sinn Féin, who votes what, and you see that income in particular is really powerful. Um, So basically the lower the income, the higher the probability of voting Sinn Féin. Uh, So if you're a low-income voter, you've got university education, and you're a woman, you're most likely to vote, uh, to identify and vote on the left. So this is the kind of the main determinant. We could get into the specifics of what that means more more detail, but that's the
1: general overview. Yeah, very interesting, In No, just one thing that just hits me there and I might be way off the mark here, but the, the point you make going back to the 80s that unlike a lot of countries, this one appeared uh, to, to, to centre more on the right in terms of the way voters self-identified and voted. Would a lot of that have to do with the fact the way the state evolved, particularly the role of the church, where very often you'd see is there would be a sort of conservative values that might be identified more with the right and would suit that? And that this shift, as you've observed to the left, could well have something, in in one sense, have something to do with the fact that the, the, the power of the church and the position of the church in society has dramatically changed over the last 20, 30 years?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think that's a very important observation, Mick. And when we presented the paper at various different places, you know, we the, often the discussion uh, centered on that. You know, what's the role of the, the secular nature of Irish society and, you know, the increased liberal social liberalization of Irish society and the increased kind of participation rates I mean, in terms of higher education? Because the literature, the social science literature would suggest that a country with a lot of people with higher education would be more socially liberal. And, you know, that kind of relationship between education and your kind of cultural values and social liberalism and social conservatism is very, very consistent. Um, So I think that is certainly, does, would certainly have a role to play uh, over time. And I think, you know, this kind of more right-leaning, Kind of voter that you identified in the past, I think, is very much anchored uh, in 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 the role of the church, and clearly, the declining structural and and social influence of the church has has has, has a role to play. But it's interesting, even when you talk, when I talk to my students about the church. It's like we we probably understand make what what your observation, but you'd be surprised how how few younger students would even get this conversation. You know, which shows how 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 things have changed so fast. Now, it is interesting in the data if you try to identify who exactly is it that has the highest probability of voting Fianna Fáil, for example. And really the only voter in the 2020 election survey that had the highest probability of voting Fianna Fáil were over 65 churchgoers, right? So that would suggest something, and it's very consistent, I think, with your observation. But at the same time, I think this leftward shift that we observe is related to the kind of rise of Sinn Féin. And I think it is more related to the fact that the economy, it's more about economic conflict. I think it's more about kind of the impact of the post austerity years, its housing. So it is those issues that will be classically identified on the left-right axis. Um, But I think on a longer term kind of secular trend in terms of what's the broader shift taking place here, I think absolutely the, the, the declining role the church has a role to play.
1: Yeah, and that's the other interesting thing is, uh, as you said, there's classical things identified with left and right. And for example, where we see our um, particular things moving towards right and right-wing populism, you, you have a lot of cultural issues, principally the likes of immigration. Yet your research would suggest, and I think it would certainly resonate with people's experience, that even as perhaps the voters moving to the left here, the cultural aspect of that spectrum doesn't really feature. It's largely just about economics. Yeah, I mean,
0: that would be my takeaway. And I think that would be the key inference um, from from this study. And, you know, in in many ways, the motivation, the kind of idea behind the paper stemmed from various other work I was doing and, you know, talking with colleagues and other European universities and presenting work. And I always get this question, what's the story in Ireland? You know, you don't seem to have this kind of radical rights, this populist right shift, etc. So it just seems to me that what's really going on, though, is that, you know, there has been this kind of let's call it, a bit of an economic shock. I mean, the, the financial crash really mm. ruptured things, not just in Ireland, but globally, internationally, particularly in the kind of Western advanced capitalist democracies of the world. And then it was kind of like the dog that didn't bark. You know, what was going on in Ireland? You didn't seem to have much of a response. And this was a bit puzzling. But the research would suggest that when you had this economic crises and when governments impose pretty harsh austerity measures, the kind of challenge, the kind of the, 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 the political entrepreneur, if you like, that's likely to emerge and challenge the status quo is probably going to come from the left, not the right. And you see that to a certain extent in Ireland, in Portugal, uh, in Spain. But then at the same time in Spain and in Portugal and certainly in Italy, uh, you know, countries that also had you know uh, a lot of austerity measures uh, uh, imposed by government, they also had a kind of right-wing turn in various parts. So the challenge in Ireland clearly came from the left and the challenge was coming from Sinn Féin. So I mean I would conceptualise and we would conceptualise my co-author and I, Stefan Muller uh, Sinn Féin as a left populist party and I say populist in the sense of the strategies that they pursue would be broadly populist. You know, they focus on the elites, the status quo, you know, the Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, the establishment and they're the kind of, as Mary Lou Says in the radio quite easily, they represent you know carers and factory workers, not millionaires. And this kind of narrative and the story that they tell, I think, resonates very strongly. And it is interesting to ask, for example, if self-identification on the left and right is a powerful predictor of voting behavior, why then, if this was happening over time, was there not a leftward shift earlier? And and why was it that income didn't seem to do much explanation? Because up until the 2020 election, your income level wasn't a great predictor of who you voted for but it was a very clear predictor of who you voted for in 2020 and it just seems to me that the kind of on the supply side to use the technical term the rise of Sinn Féin and their challenge from the left mobilized in a sense that kind of identity amongst low to low to middle income voters to, to go with them and there's a kind of party leadership dimension so supply creates its own
1: demand in that sense. Yeah I, I, I have to put in there in I have a recollection, uh, and another man I've had a guest in the podcast, uh, poet Theo Dorgan. Theo was actually, I remember distinctly, and I said it to him at the time, after the 2011 election, he was the only person I could see was saying, This is a big change, it's going to wash out, it's going to take three elections, and <laughs> it looks like there's certainly something true in terms of, of, of a direction we were heading. I just want to. Justin, to talk to about the, the left populism and that, which is a fascinating um, thing in its yep. own right. But one element to the paper I just found interesting as well, Aidan, um i just quote you here a, a paragraph where you said uh, higher educated voters are typically split on the question of economic distribution. Higher educated voters with higher incomes And who typically work in business finance market services tend to hold more right-leaning views of the economy, particularly taxation. Higher educated voters with low to middle incomes typically work in the public sector and civil society and on average hold more left-leaning views on the economy. Both sets of voters are socially and culturally liberal, as we spoke about, and tend to have favourable attitudes towards open immigration policies. Now, what struck me just reading that... I said those, those higher income earners, highly educated, and the middle and lower income earners, highly educated, is their political leanings informed largely? By their own circumstances, to the extent that those at the higher end are in favour of perhaps lower taxation because they'd be far greater beneficiaries, and those at the lower end want more redistribution because perhaps they feel they could be doing better. Or is it a philosophical thing, depending on, on the type of education, background, etc., that they had? Have you any insight into that? That's a, that's a great question, and
0: it's a really great observation because this is this is a big debate in in economic sociology in political science, you know, why is there such a strong correlation between higher education and liberal views? And why is it that certain higher educated voters, depending on their occupation, their income, wealth level, lean more to the left or right? Um, now, you could, as you said, you, one couldn't make the case that, well, you know, it's fairly straightforward that, you know, if you're working in the higher paid it's a multinational business finance sector, you know, you probably have access to secure housing and all probability you're not first generation higher income either. You're probably second or third generation higher income. And, you know, you probably have a preference for, you know, lower taxes and you want more money in your pocket. Um, and If you want the government to spend money on things, you want them to spend things on capital investment, capital infrastructure. So you're probably favorable towards spending on higher education, maybe even on healthcare if you don't have private insurance and so on, and things like roads and infrastructure. So that's kind of interesting, but not necessarily in terms of redistribution, not necessarily in terms of minimizing economic inequality, not necessarily public housing, social housing, that kind of thing. Um, so, again, it could be just a function of the fact that of where your income and level is, and that could be the main kind of, um, you know, predictor there. But at the same time, the deeper question you get at is, well, is there some sort of self-selection effect? Because is it the case that people who go on to work in these kind of jobs and have that income, they choose to pursue a certain path in university. So they may already be leaning in that direction by virtue of the fact that they want to go off. And this is not, I don't mean this in any kind of normative, critical way to listeners who, who might be working, who want to go off and you know, study business or marketing and advertising there may be just a sense of my core priority is to make as much money as possible where somebody who wants to go off and study I don't know like social science or or, you know humanities may have a different kind of self-selection there could be something going on there and then the education that they get exposed to that they get socialized into has an impact but my own kind of view would be it is a bit more material based that if you are with higher education and you've got a good degree, good masters, and, you know, you're working in a relatively good job, but you can't afford to, you know, the rent is high, childcare is expensive, you can't really realistically afford to buy a house, or if you do, you're going to have to commute long distance, etc. Those are the things I think are likely to feed into why you might lean more left on the economy, why you want the government to be, you know, making more investments, why you're more favourable towards higher taxes and higher income earners. So I think it's probably, my own view will be, it's more that material welfare basis that is likely to uh, shape and internalise. Uh, one's preferences towards economic, social, and wealth redistribution.
1: Yeah, it's a great one. It's like that <laughs> that famous one of the man at the uh, the socialist or communist meeting. No what it was, has gone back decades. And you know, everyone who has two houses should give away one. Yes, everyone has two cars should give away one. Yes, everyone yeah. has two bicycles. Hold on, <laughs> I have two bicycles. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it it is an interesting topic. To know what's
0: really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash
1: subscribe. Just briefly, and you brought up this whole concept of left populism. Yeah. Is there an argument to be made, in that we actually had experienced the left populism in this country and it was represented by Fianna Fáil back in the 30s and 40s, except they never identified it as such?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a very reasonable uh, argument. One could make the case that what Sinn Fein are doing today is really no different to what Fianna Fáil did in the past. I think perhaps the big difference is that the narrative, the discourse, like Fianna Fáil may have kind of had a more left populist um, strategy in terms of the economy, but they were certainly not on the left when it came to cultural, social issues. You could not, in any kind of realistic, objective way, yeah. identify Fianna Fáil as on the left in that way. So they did not cluster with that kind of left social democratic family, but who voted for Fianna Fáil, right? They did. They were anchored in the kind of urban and rural working class. Uh, that's where their kind of identity was formed. That's who voted for them. So it's the kind of classic case of, well, just because the working class voted for Fianna Fáil does not make Fianna. Fall a left party? No, not necessarily, but it probably made Fianna Fáil a working-class party. But the working-class dimension and identity and the complexity, of, of course, has changed over time. And this idea that working-class voters are, are more right-wing on culture and immigration issues, that actually doesn't really hold up in Ireland when you look at the detail. Yes, you find a bit of it. So, for example, if you look at the kind of who votes Sinn Féin uh, you know the kind of the, the kind of easy lazy argument that I can put it like that is oh well it's just those poor working class people and they're all right-wing anyway they're all anti-immigrant and it's like well actually that's not quite true when you look at them finer detail it is true that there is a certain cohort of Sinn Féin voters who you know would have relatively more conservative views on immigration and so on but no more or no less really than say some Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael voters in fact it's probably still the person who leans in that direction is probably more voting independent than at this stage and there's probably more voting, maybe, you know, depending on the constituency, uh, for a Fianna fall, T D, etc. So I don't really think that's the anchor or the determinant. In fact I would say a lot of those voters are will will, will abandon Sinn Fein and if they haven't done so already. Um, so, so you know, are Fianna Fáil just, are, are Sinn Féin like left populist the way Fianna Fáil are? To a certain extent, yes. I mean, they've cl- they have clearly taken <laughs> Fianna Fáil's clothes and they have clearly kind of taken a lot of their votes. And the same voters that Fianna Fáil previously were anchored in is now firmly uh, anchored to Sinn Féin. Uh, and it's going to be very difficult, I think,
1: for Fianna Fáil to, to win that vote back. Oh, definitely. And I, I suppose, as you say, though, going back to the 30s and 40s, culturally you're in a completely different world and yeah. everybody, certainly in terms of the political structure in this country, bar perhaps, I think a man who, who was badly treated, Mick Reardon in the Communist Party, apart from him, I think everybody was, was culturally on that uh, That kind of right wing. But in a sense,
0: like what some like the way to kind of like because I think comparatively as well, because I'll be looking comparative across Europe, in some ways, like what's happening to fianna Fall is not that different to what has happened to the social democratic party families Mm. in other European countries who, you know, depend like for example, they've been decimated in France. Okay, they've made a bit of a rebound in Germany, but struggling in, in kind of in Italy, but doing very well in Spain. And what you'll find is that when social democrats take a more left turn, they tend to do better now, so that's fairly clear when you look across Europe. Social Democrats, parties that may have went more third way, neoliberal way, whatever way you want to think, but when they're kind of sh- when they when they're challenged from the left and they take a bit more of a left turn, they tend to actually win back a lot of those votes, etc. But again, it really depends on the country in question. Like Spain is a very clear case of this. So what's happening to Fianna Fall, arguably is not that different. they are being challenged on the right by Fine Gael, left by, by by Sinn Féin. They're struggling with that liberal vote, which is probably distributed across either centre-left parties and some parts of Fine Gael. So they really are being squeezed um, and it's hard to know which way they can go. Um, but, you know, and it's also unlikely that they will be able to adopt the same left populist narrative and story and strategy that Sinn Fein are so unapologetic about. In fact, I think it's going to be difficult for any other party to do that because Sinn Fein are so unapologetic about it. But I mean, when and if they're in government, uh, that's when the real struggle will come for for Sinn Fein. Oh,
1: definitely, that'll be that'll be when the interesting stuff starts. Another thing, Darian, as I say, maybe I give an incomplete picture, but this suggestion that in so many countries, US, UK, Hungary, Poland, etc., there's they, they have moved to the right, yet we're moving to the left, is a huge element to that down to just attitudes to immigration in other countries compared to attitudes to immigration here? Yeah, really good question.
0: And again, as you can imagine, there's lots of kind of People who tried to get at this empirically and and it's difficult because in the 2020 election, and I could be mistaken, but, you know, if memory serves me correctly, in the 2020 electoral survey, only 1%, 2% maybe of voters cited immigration as the main concern, tiny, compared to other Western European countries where it's 20, 30%, even higher. Um, So it's not something that is a salient issue. Now, is it not a salient issue because we don't have, for example, unlike a lot of North European countries, second and third generation immigration from North Africa? We don't have a large kind of Muslim constituency or a Muslim community in the same way lots of North uh, Northern European countries do. And therefore, the tension that has emerged there doesn't seem so clear. And, you know, it's not we, we obviously don't have the same kind of diverse immigration culture as the UK and the USA do. So it could simply be a function of the fact that the immigrants that the people tend to interact with in Ireland are often quite high income, highly educated immigrants. And I'm kind of reminded by, I spoke once with somebody who was very clearly on on the far right of of Irish politics. And he was saying to me, he said, oh no, I've no problem with the French guy that works for Google. It's just more like, you know, the, the, the Nigerian that's coming here. And I just thought that crass, you know, that was kind of, I thought, really got at the mindset you know but it's not a big consistency it's not a salient issue that's not to say it won't become a salient issue so I would always be somewhat reluctant to say it's like and it's not to say that there's not a cohort and a large consistency of Irish people who you know would hold fairly anti-immigrant views so one would not want to be complacent uh, to be honest about the possibility that you're going to get this big strong anti-immigrant backlash and so on I, I still think that is a possibility but at the moment it's not a salient issue why is it not a salient issue? I think actually in this sense because the challenge I think party leadership and the political leadership in our, nobody there's no political entrepreneur no there are some political actors out there who would probably mobilize that issue but for the most part there hasn't been a political entrepreneur or a challenger that has really tried to mobilize this issue we don't have a kind of red top tabloid press that mobilizes on this issue so we don't it's it, I think all these things come together but I do think that the role of Sinn Féin, if you want to think about it, I think Sinn Féin's response to that question Rick, would be, we're a working class party and we show leadership on this question and we bring our voters along with us. Now, they may not say it as explicitly as that, but I think party leadership and political leadership really does matter on that front. And, you know, in so far in Ireland, all the political leaders, all the parties, you know, have not tried to exploit that issue, have not made it a salient issue. Um, And I think, it's probably easier for them to do it because at a deeper structural level on the demand side, it's not like we have the same issues around immigration that many North European countries do. And we weren't affected by the migration crises and the refugee crises from the Middle East in the same way other European countries were. And we don't have that deep historical culture of diversity in terms of second generation uh, immigration that post-colonial
1: big states do as well. So I think all that together is, is a contributing factor. Yeah, and I I think, to be fair, Sinn Féin, they're definitely... And, okay, you can go back to their history where they came from. They they, they never could, to that extent, have uh, positioned themselves as being an anti-immigrant party. But the the equivalent of those, a party of those who've been disaffected, particularly after the economic collapse, very often they did exploit, particularly in working-class areas sort of anti-immigrant sentiment and Sinn Fein to be fair as you say showed leadership and did quite the opposite.
0: Yeah, no I think and I think that is a, is a is a key contributing factor. Um and I w- and again I don't know this but I would imagine I mean What's interesting about Sinn Fein is that like clearly they're quite a disciplined hierarchical party and clearly they're able to put out fires internally and they show a very united force. How long they can do that and if, if they can do that when they're in government might be a slightly different thing. But I'm sure at a party activist level, at a constituency level, they have to constantly perhaps, you know, manage this issue. Um now I don't know that I'm not doing some sort of ethnographic study, but I would imagine that that, that they probably do. But maybe no more than for example, than Fina have to do though,
1: or Fine Gael have to do. That you you know, very true. Yeah, yeah. There's certainly um, discipline and centrally control, which is an issue in itself. Another aspect to it, though, Aidan, is, as as you say, it's this left populism now that uh, seems to be the, the the thing in vogue on the left. And I know you 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 can't be counterfactual, but some people would suggest that, for example, if Labour hadn't gone into government in 2011, they would now be where Sinn Fein are, and they'd be espousing a traditional left. Type of politics rather than left populism. I mean, is that going too yeah. much into the realm of 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 uh, what may have been? <laughs> well, I think I think there's
0: probably two parts of it. I think I agree with you. If they had not gone into government, they would have been in a very strong position to compete and lead uh, the next government because they would have had four years to kind of develop a different story and 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 so forth. They would have been seen as the main opposition to kind of the Fianna Fail uh, uh kind of centre right consensus, but they didn't, and and I think. Look, we could debate all day about (laughs) that decision, but they didn't. Um, Would they have been able, though, to pursue the same kind of left populist narrative story? I don't know. I think, think, you know, and again, this is not a critique. It's just an observation. I think there's a kind of technocratic bias within the center-left parties. They like policy. You know, I like policy. They like mm. the detail. They like to. They're, they're better at the detail and the policy. But you know, we know from research that's not what resonates with voters. You need a story. You need a very simple story. You need a narrative. And I think Sinn Fein understand that better than most. Um, and they just like even they're, they're, even even if you look at their literature, if you look at their manifesto, if you they just keep things simple. You know, um, Labour Party you go into great detail, <laughs> and you know if you're if if you're if you if you're the go talking with a labor party person say look what about housing etc i'll be able if you look at our manifesto on page 12 and this section we said that it's like you've already lost the argument you know yeah. um so so i think there there is that kind of if there's a if there's a lesson here for the other center left parties looking at Sinn Féin is that you probably need a bit more of a left populist strategy to resonate with voters
1: yeah and that concept of left populism no the thing that strikes me is populism well a couple of things first of all is populism sustainable? I mean, for example, one thing you have to do in terms of populism is, is your concentration is on being popular. So you have scenarios like, for example, Sinn Féin and the property tax. Property tax yeah. was unpopular. I wonder how unpo- whether it's as unpopular as they perceive, but one way or the other, they're anti the pop the property tax. And the big one to me is, I think every government is going to have to be unpopular to some extent in the coming years in tackling the climate crisis. And Sinn Féin, for example, their anti-carbon taxes on the basis, they see it that it's unjust, but I mean, there's ways of dealing with that. But is it sustainable and particularly in relation to that thing
0: about uh, climate? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it's not sustainable. And I think I think Sinn Féin are, are walking a very, very, um, how would you put it, like tight line on on the climate issue, and I think there's a lot of people looking at Sinn Féin now and maybe saying, mm, "Not sure I trust them so much uh, on this issue," you know, because their position on it is very flaky uh, and it's not consistent. And their position on wealth and property taxes is completely inconsistent. Now, in fairness to them, they do say things like you want to have a higher income tax above 100,000. So they do offer that left alternative, which kind of keeps them consistent in terms of a more, like I'm sure there's many people in Sinn Féin who would say we're not left populists, we're socialist republican. Uh, and they prefer to call themselves a socialist, but it's very clear from the leadership. They have you ever heard the leadership of Sinn Fein talking about socialism, no. So I think Not they understand how terminology, they understand, you know, the importance of language and so on. Um so so in that sense, I think you're quite right. Um, you know, is it like when I say populism, I don't mean it as an ideology there's a lot of people in the literature who think that populism is an ideology i see it as a strategy and it's a strategy that's very much focused on the other the elites you know it's fiena it's fiena fall it's the, it's the it's the establishment and you know the substantive dimension to it is focused on the economy and focusing and politicizing economic conflict And, you know, you see that very clearly the way they've managed to keep housing on the agenda for so long and how they've managed to kind of articulate a story around that has worked for them. Um, And I think when in government, you know, if they like they're going to have to legally commit to, you know, those carbon reductions by sector because it's going to be written into legislation. Um, So, they're going to have to turn around and say to key parts that are elected, oh, I know that we were saying we're going to promise you this, that and the other and everything like Fianna Fáil did in the past. But actually, now that we're in government, we're going to have to do things differently. At that point, I think, you know, their kind of their rising success might begin to mitigate. So I would not be convinced that that Sinn Féin are going to be able to remain a 30 plus percent party indefinitely when in government. My view is that Ireland, much like what's happening in the rest of Europe, you know, they call it the Dutchification of politics, you're just going to have a much more multi-party system. Uh, and and it's going to be about coalition building. So who do Sinn Féin do a deal with? Who do they build coalitions with? And at that point, you know, compromise is key. Uh, and I just think at the moment, it's very easy for Sinn Féin to adopt the strategy they do. But when in government, as you say, particularly on the climate issue and particularly around issues like carbon taxes, um, they're they're going to have to make some
1: really difficult trade-offs. Yeah, and one other element to the whole concept of populism, as you say, a part of it is the other. And with right-wing populism, the other is immigrants, for instance. And, and uh, it, it gets very nasty. We all know that. Here, as you say, they, they project the other as the elite. Now, who, who, whom you can identify in the elite and who self-identifies as being part of the, by opposite, the virtuous people, is, is, is an issue in itself. But is there any danger that merely by having the concept of the other... Irrespective of the fact, it's you could argue a, a powerful entity rather than, for example, in right wing populism, the, the the powerless, largely immigrants, what have you. Is there any danger that that lowers the tone of politics and 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 uh, can affect things in that way? Yeah, I think so.
0: I mean, I think you'd be very aware, Mick. You know, does people would observe that Irish politics has become very polarized, and it has. And but for me, the polarization is more a reflection on very different interests in society. And for the first time, we just have a very clear left right articulation that is actually reflecting people's beliefs and ideologies and ultimately their material interests. And I don't see anything wrong with having a full on debate. And let's actually talk about class. Let's actually talk about these things. Whereas in Ireland polite society doesn't like to talk about these things. Oh, let's not talk about class as if it doesn't exist. It clearly does, you know. And I think, you know, that is the kind of. Is, is is a healthy and good thing. But you're quite right. The danger with that polarization is that it gets nasty, it gets personal. And I don't really, I'm maybe as an academic, a bit maybe cut off from this world. But, you know, I hear people telling stories all the time about the polarization on social media, the abuse that people get. And in particular, you know, women. I mean, I've heard many, and, and as we all have, the extent of abuse that women have to receive. So why would you enter politics on that basis? So I do think there's a problem there. Um, whether that is a function of, you Know the stuff that we're getting, and I'm not sure whether it's a broader trend in society, whether it's really just a function of social media and a function of the kind of so I'm not so sure, but I think at the national level, at least in kind of official media, or, or, or you know, this doesn't seem to happen so much. Um, but no, I think, um, I think it is a real concern, particularly if it means that, uh you Know certain groups and particularly female women politicians end up getting more abused than others. I mean, keep in mind as well, didn't the Sinn Féin politician have his car burnt out? You know, so it that's works right, Martin so Kenny. All
1: yeah. yeah, it works always. It's so it is It is something to be very concerned about. Yeah, one other thing, then, Aidan. Um, as you say, we're moving to the left, it would definitely seem to be the case. Uh, issues of inequality are very prevalent, but when you look at some of the headline stuff, I mean market economy, we're fairly unequal. But when you take into account taxation and uh, transfers, state interventions, we're, I think, around the average European in terms of equality. Relatively speaking, it's a wealthy country. Uh, we've a, it, the, the fact that we have immigration suggests that it's an attractive country for people from the outside. Yet, underlying all that, the the shifts you're talking about in politics would certainly seem to suggest that there's major inequality here. Now, my amateur opinion is that a huge amount of that has to do with housing, but is it broader than that? Yeah, I think so. I think I think so, Mick. And this is kind of this this is related to other research
0: I'm doing. So I can just kind of identify some, some key factors here that I think is important. So my own view would be that a lot of this stuff is emerging from the structural shifts that have been taking place in the Irish political economy. And Ireland has a very unique political economy in that we really have two economies. We have the multinational sector, the foreign direct investment sectors, which is a key you know, contributor towards productivity, income growth, tax revenue. It's, a, it's the engine, if you like, of the Irish economy. But it completely distorts the economic reality for how most people live and I think that distortion of reality is contributing to the kind of the, the, the kind of narrative where you have, if put it very simply, you know, a large part of Finnegale voters are feeling say everything's fine. I've got a secure house, got good income. What, 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 stop beating up on Dublin all the time. Stop beating up on Ireland. And then a lot of Sinn Féin voters are saying, <laughs> what world do you live in, you know? Can't afford the rent, can't afford to get, no, no way I'm going to buy a house. And I think, you know, The statistics distort this because, as we all know, GDP is about 320 billion. GNI star, you know, actual real economy that most people live in, is about 150 billion less than that. Actual individual consumption, you know, as opposed to GDP per capita, which gives you a much better understanding of the material welfare of households in Ireland, is below the EU average and below the Euro 19 average. So how can you have a GDP per capita household income, basically, uh, as a measure that makes Ireland top of the league in the EU. But then when you actually adjust it, it falls right down to about average. I think that's what's going on here. Um, and I think, you know, this is not to say that Oh, it, when I talk about this and I publish it, people think it's some sort of, oh, therefore, you're saying we're going to get rid of the multinationals. No, I'm not saying that at all. I mean, this is in a key, this is a fundamental part of the Irish economy, but it does mean that we have this very unequal economy and people are not experiencing the economy in the same way. And they're not being able, therefore, the narrative that they receive, I think, frustrates a lot of people. And therefore, it generates the grievances they have. And quite frankly, they get angry about it and they vote Sinn Féin in many ways. So, you know, I think, this, and, and housing is the perfect example of that, you know, the unequal access to housing. And my own view is that, you know, it is it's amplified in Dublin and Cork in our case, in our cities and but you know it's it's and it's a general trend that's happening across the kind of advanced capitalist democracy of the world but it's particularly stark in, in Dublin city for example whereby realistically you know pretty much the bottom seventy percent of the of the income of the of, of, of the income distribution is not realistically going to be able to buy a house and they have the expectation that they will so I think all this is going on. And it is related to this two-tier economy. And your point about market income and disposable income is really important because I've, I've done a lot of work on this as well with my colleague Michal Collins in the School of Social Policy here. If you look at the distribution of income in Ireland, before taxes and transfers and after tax and transfers, again, it's very, very different. And, you know, people would say, well, look, because the state taxes and transfers, and we have a very progressive income tax system, and the welfare state does what it's supposed to do, you know, what are people complaining about? Why We actually don't have such an unequal society. We're not like the UK. We're not like the USA. And I think that is an important factor. That, I think, many ways, does put a lid. I think if you didn't have that redistributive welfare state, you really would have a lot of instability. And if you think there's political conflict and polarization now, imagine that lid was taken off. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that's what impacts people's preferences and voting. They think about the money that they earn, the job that they have. You know, most people are thinking about their earnings, their wages. And because wage inequality is so high, when you go to the bank to get a mortgage, they're not looking at that, those, they're looking at how much money you actually earn. They're looking at your wages. So I think that matters much more for people's experiences. And I think it all has a much bigger impact on on, on on their attitude, their voting behavior and their politics. And again, Ireland being unique, you know, because wage inequalities are so high, you know, it puts a huge amount of pressure on the state to tax and transfer and it does that quite well. And then comparatively, say, well, everything is fine, but beneath the surface, it's not fine. And it's back to this two-tier economy, which I think is really an important contributing factor to these structural shifts in Irish politics.
1: Hayden, fascinating insight. And hopefully we'll have you back again as we advance through the electoral cycle in particular for uh, your unique take on, I suppose, the interface between politics and economics. Thanks very much for joining us today, Thank you. Pleasure. Uh, I'd also like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you for listening, folks. You can get us on all the usual platforms. We'll talk to you again next week and go easy in the meantime.